You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. A lot of people coming out after COVID and the partnership work when they met one-on-one in the office, the minute they're not one-on-one in the office and all the employees are out of the office, all of a sudden there's friction. So then we have to change it to amend it to reflect now the new model of their business. So people start out very well many times, but as the business grows, and what's interesting, Andy, is it, believe it or not, you can actually, and I know you know this because you are the expert on businesses, that you can outgrow your business. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we have a great episode today. We are going to talk about partnerships. And both Jessica and I, have been very, very successful in partnerships. We both have had partnerships that didn't go well. um, And that's probably due to uh, misunderstandings or plannings or just, you know, sometimes you get into a bad business model and it just doesn't work out. And you just, I I don't think I've had any bad partnerships where uh, I really don't like the person anymore. Uh, In fact, a couple of partnerships where it didn't work out, I'm still really good friends with them. It just you know, it just didn't work out. And I think with some better planning, uh, they might've worked out better, but uh, because I learned so much, uh, the partnership I have now is going really, really well. So, and Jessica, you know, I know you've experienced the same. Yeah, we've had a number of business partnerships, and I think we're going to talk about some keys to success today and figuring out how you can structure it uh, right up front. And if for some reason doesn't work out, you know, sometimes it's not, like you said, it's not, you know, bad person, good person. It's just different strategies, different personalities on how you run a business. But if you structure it right from the beginning, you can salvage that relationship and get out. And we do see, we see a number of people buying businesses as partners, right? Andy, we see husband and wives, friends, colleagues from previous jobs. So we thought this topic would be really good for our listeners because we do know a a lot. I wouldn't say maybe the majority, but it's probably close to the majority of people buying a business have some sort of partnership they're coming in with. Yeah. And it's a good idea. I mean, partnerships can work out very, very well. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to go into a partnership and we're going to talk about how to set up the partnership, but really just off the top of my head, you know, not having to do all the work or not having to be on all the time is one good reason. Yeah, I think that is is a great reason is not having to do all the work. I think two is different skill sets, right? So I think the partnership um, most people know me for is the partnership with my husband, Al, and doing this kind of stuff would would like kill him. He would would not be able to do this, right? But he's, he's a fantastic broker and he's a great sales guy, which is not my best 
time and use. So I think having a variety of skill sets and partnerships really allow you to go a lot further and a lot faster. Yeah. And it can also help incentivize people, right? So nothing better than somebody who's working for you, working with you instead, right? Being a partner, having a financial stake in the business or being able to get rewarded once the business is doing really well. So partnerships could be good to as, as an incentive as well. But again, uh, it really depends on how you set these up. Yeah. So we have a great interview with Deborah Carmen, who's been on the show a number of times before, and she's going to talk about the legal aspects of setting up a partnership. And Andy, you had a great interview with her, right? Yeah, she she's great. I mean, she has done so many deals for us in the past. And whenever there's a partnership agreement, first of all, my advice to everybody is you must, must have a partnership agreement. And I could tell you some nightmare stories of friends who went into business with people on a handshake and the businesses became very large. And what happens when businesses start making a lot of money is people get greedy or they forget. I mean, you know, I forget a lot of things and uh, it's always good to have things in writing. So having a partnership agreement is a must and then having an operating agreement as well. Yeah. And I think it doesn't even matter who your partner is. I have a partnership agreement with my husband. I bought a business with my sister. We had a partnership agreement. I learned that unfortunately from different family business experiences in the past that we had seen that same thing, handshake deal, 20, 30 years goes by. Not a lot of us remember what we agreed to 20, 30 years ago. And even if it doesn't last that long, even two or three years. So no matter who the partner is, definitely a partnership agreement. Deborah's got some great tips, but before we get into that, we really wanted to walk you through, like we started this uh, podcast episode with uh, how to build a successful partnership relationship and protect both parties. Yeah. We really just wanted to do it in plain English too. So we have Deborah here <laughs> yeah. to talk about some of the fine, finer points of the legalities. And she, again, tries to make it as plain spoken. So don't uh, click off when you start hearing her talk. She has some, she's been around for a long time working with us and knows what buyers and sellers have done in the past that have either gotten them in trouble or helped save their partnership. So what we wanted to do is kind of go through the six points of understanding exactly how you should set it up, but in plain Eng English. Yeah. So first let's just start with the setup, you know? So there's a lot of decisions you have to make in a partnership, but one of the key decisions is the split of equity. Is it going to be 50, 50? Is there going to be a majority partner? Um, I know I've done deals in both situations and Andy, you have too, but that's a really big decision, a key decision that you have to make up front. Yeah, it's a really big decision. So my partnership with United franchise franchise group happens to be 50, 50. And it's, you know, again, it's been a spectacular partnership working out very well. And I've been in other partnerships. I was in partnerships with uh, my family and it was a third, third and a third. And I was the operating control person, but it was a third, third and third doing all the work. And, you know, that eventually got a little bit uh, tough in the end because people were like, well, you deserve more because you're doing more of the work. And we're going to talk about, no, the way you set it up is the equity has to do with how you're going to basically split up the money. It really doesn't have much to do with the operating control. It somewhat does, but it doesn't have to say who's going to do what work. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's a key point that we'll address too. I think one of the things you have to think about if you're going to do 50, 50, which is a very popular split. And you see that in a lot of partnerships is the, that's when the agreement becomes even more um, important because there's no majority person to overrule or say, this is what we're going to do. Um, so in those 50, 50 partnerships, you have to really go in with open eyes and figure out how our decision is going to be made, how, um, how are, and some of the things that we're going to talk about um, down the road, how's it going to get funded? How are you going to get out? What are you going to do if you want to grow? Things like that. But um, in those 50-50 partnerships, since no one has majority, no one can overrule the rest of the partners in it. So it's so really important to think about it. Um, and I, obviously, if you're a majority partner in a majority minority, minority relationship, that's a little bit easier, but that doesn't uh, negate the need for the agreement going in. Yeah, the agreement will help protect the minority partner. It, in, for example, because they want to know how they're going to, how monies are transferred. And we'll talk about all of that in a minute, but really it comes down to being able to protect the minority partner. If you happen to be b- b- the minority partner still can work out, still could be a good investment, still could be a good partnership, just as long as you start setting it up. Right. So the first thing is how are we splitting this up and have a very clear understanding of who has what percentage. Right. Which kind of leads us to this next step is how do you get into the partnership? So some partnerships are set up from day one and there's no assets or no business before the partnership. Some partnerships people will buy into at a later um, date and time. But I think Andy, you and I are on the same page here and we'll talk a little bit about this, but how do you earn equity or how do you get in? And there's a couple different ways that you can do that. We are both of the belief that there is no such thing as sweat equity in a lot of our partnerships. And by getting in, you buy in or you provide some type of financing. And I know you've got a really great line about this uh, equity and what it means from a monetary perspective. Yeah. For me, you have to pay. You have to pay. It's about risk, right? It's about Mm -hmm. taking financial risk in a partnership. And I know that sometimes people are partnering with people because they have skills. You watch it on Shark Tank constantly that they're, you know, that they're want to partner with one shark or the other because they have certain skills, certain connections. That's all well and good. But even there, you're watching that there is an equity, a monetary component for people to take risks. Because I believe for someone to be able to get a part piece of equity, they have to buy in. They just have to. There has to be money tied to it. Yeah. And, and sometimes that could be like, you know, uh, waiving your salary or waiving something like that in an operating role for years or something, but there's got to be money that's tied to it. So money equals equity in terms of investment dollars. And that's how you get into a partnership. Yeah. If they're not willing to put money in, I, I, I don't think they should be a partner. And yes, there could be ways of, uh, you know, earning more but I think in the beginning, there needs to be at least a dollar. I mean, there needs to be some money changing hands because you will watch people squirm when they have to make that investment and things change. And so it needs to be substantial. I really do believe that. So, yeah. Well, and I think it's important upfront too, because, you know, oftentimes when partnerships are starting or you're first buying a business, everything's great. Right. And, and hopefully that the business always stays that way, but when, and if there does come a day where there needs to be a capital call or the business needs more money, you want to ensure that your partners are invested enough and are not 
too risk averse that they're going to be able to fund that money, both from a financial capacity, right? Um, but also from like their own personality um, capacity that they're willing to take that risk. So, yeah. And that leads us to our third point, which is money, because every partnership will eventually become about money. As you said, if it's not going well, how does people have to put money in if there's capital calls, which means that the partnership's running out of money and we need more money, where do we get it from? And they get the, you know, if you're a partner, you will have to put money in if that's the agreement. And so that can cause a lot of things to trigger if a partnership needs more money and vice versa. As soon as people start making money and you and I have seen this a thousand times, that's when, you know, people really start questioning how the partnership was set up and how they get money out of it. So that should be very clear about how money comes out, you know, as, as money comes out of the partnership as it makes their earnings. Yeah. And, and it's best really to make a lot of these decisions up front um, before you're in the moment. Um, and that's why the agreements are set up as they are. But you can make decisions of, you know, how much um, profit uh, triggers a dividend payment out to the partners. Do you have to have a specific amount of cash reserves on hand before that hits? Who makes the decision on when the payout's going to occur? Is it a board vote or is it controlled by the majority shareholder or the CEO? Like who makes that decision? Um, something as simple as, is, is there a required dividend from the company for every shareholder to pay their tax bill every year? Things like that. But there's a lot of monetary decisions. Um, we talked about if you have to fund, do a capital call, you also should make the decision up front of like, if you're going to take on debt, who has to approve that debt, who's going to be on the hook for it. Um, but there's, there's a lot of things that happen in a business long-term um, that these decisions are critical. And like you said, Andy, a lot of, a lot of the issues we see with partnerships come down to money. Yeah, it does. I mean, and people like to live their lives differently, right? So I have some partners. I've had some partners. I've seen some people in partners. I don't want to be specific about anybody, but I've seen some people that they live their life day to day, right? They're, they're if they get money in, they're spending it. I had a partner and uh, I know he doesn't listen, so it's perfect. And he, <laughs> he, like we handed out credit cards at the beginning of the partnership saying, Hey, you know, this is for incidentals. He maxed out the credit card the first month. I'm like, oh, I needed this and needed this. And then the second month, he did it again. I said, oh, wait a second. Is there a problem here that you're not good with money? And I figured out very quickly, yes, he was not good with money. So I was the majority shareholder. Thank God it was 51%. And I said, no more credit card for you. And he was okay with that as long as I handled the expenses, but I got to approve everything going forward. So some people like to spend money if they have it. Some people like to save money for a rainy day and are more conservative. You should get that out on the table and you should talk about, you know, hey, if we have $100,000 in the bank, that's going to trigger us to split up some money, you know, uh, you know, over $100,000 or over $50,000, whatever your capital needs are on a day-to-day -day basis and talk about when you're going to split up that money. Yeah. And we, we have triggers built into all of our partnership agreements like that, where we worked out what the working capital needs to be in the business. If we want additional savings on top of that and what triggers um, a, a, a payout and what triggers a dividend for our shareholders. So it's just clear, right? There's no questions. There's no, 
Um, there's no assumptions that one of the shareholders is doing what's right for them, um, especially if there's a case of a majority shareholder or the CEO gets to make certain decisions, but just having it clear and objective and in writing. Yeah. And things change, right? So mm -hmm. 2000, before 2007 or eight, whenever you want to say the recession started, I think we are in our partnership agreement. We said we keep $100,000 in the bank. And, you know, we were a smaller company back then. We weren't a franchise yet. And that was probably sufficient. Well, right. these days we have a huge company. We have 15 employees. We have a hundred agents here in Florida. We have 700 agents worldwide. We have 250 franchisees, a hundred thousand dollars is not going to cut it, you know? So, and after the pandemic, I mean, excuse me, after the pandemic, we were pretty good, but, but, but as opposed to the pandemic, we talked about this in previous shows in 2007, eight, nine, you know, they crunched down, the banks pulled everybody's mm -hmm. credit lines and your ability to leverage yourself to get working capital went to zero. And right. so we learned from that time saying, oh my God, we need to have way more money in the bank and to make sure that we have six months of operating income instead of one month or two months. Right. So things change and you have to continue to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This is in this, like, like you said, this is a continuing conversation. The partnership agreement can be amended. can be changed. It's, we're not going to talk about it much. How today, many but people do that though? I know. Right. But I, I think we're not going to talk about it today, but that's also why you should be constant communication with your shareholders, especially if they're not active in the business, having regular board of directors meetings, making sure you're communicating what's going on in the business. So money is probably the number one issue that we see in partnerships. Number two is what? responsibilities, who yeah. does what, who's actually working in the business. And I can say this is probably the number two reason why partnerships break up because one of them is upset that the other one is not doing enough work. Yeah. And again, being clear and upfront. And sometimes, you know, this might not have to be in the, the full partnership agreement itself. Actually, um, Andy, you helped us design this with one of our partnerships, but we do have an expectations of our shareholders, right? And we have it as an appendix um, and just said, hey, this is what we expect of you as a partner. And then there on top of that, there are roles and responsibilities for specific executive team roles if somebody does hold an executive team role. But beyond holding an executive team role or job in the business. What are those expectations of each partner? Yeah, I believe people should get paid for their work in partnerships. So if one shareholder is nothing but an investor, gave the money, right? Yeah, they gave the money. And there should be specific ways that they get a return on that money. We'll talk about that. We, we've didn't talk about that, but there could be an, you know, an interest, uh, you know, a standing interest payment on an annual basis, a minimum and at payment. But if they're just the money and someone is working day to day in the business, they should get a salary for whatever that job is. If you have, you know, your wife working in the business or your husband working in the business as the CFO or the, or the operating officer, those people should get paid commensurate with the marketplace if the partnership can afford it. In the beginning, it may not, right. but eventually it should. Yeah. And, and, you, and also like you can also scale it up. Maybe it's a part-time role to begin with. Maybe it's not on market. Um, 
or maybe it's market for that size company, right? But yeah, the, all, all the owners working in the business should have, a, I think, a separate role, separate job description, and separate compensation package versus the owners that are not working in the business. But that doesn't mean there may be still some expectations of the owners in, in the business that aren't working. Do you still expect the, all the shareholders to show up for the board of directors meetings on a quarterly basis? You know, what kind of decisions do you expect them to be involved in and how are they communicating that to you? So those responsibilities are really important up front as well. Yeah, of course, connections, things like that. You expect uh, your shareholders to be at board meetings and to review financials and to give you advice. And that's usually not paid. I mean, a lot of uh, public boards do pay their, their, their folks that sit on the board, their board members. But to me, again, work is work. People should get paid for that work. They shouldn't get an exorbitant salary because they're the majority shareholder. That that shouldn't matter. If they're the chief operating officer or the CEO, they should get paid a salary commensurate with the marketplace or perhaps maybe a little less uh, to be fair to the other shareholders. But uh, work is work, equity is equity. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we covered that one pretty good. The next major decision you have to make um, as a partnership, and this is really actually very important for the topic about uh, about what we do is with M&A and small businesses is expansion. So both partners or however many partners you have in this should agree at the speed of the company's growth and how the company is going to grow. So a lot of you listening to the show might say, hey, we're going to go grow by acquisition and we're going to acquire two or three companies over the next two or three years. So having those conversations up front um, or having conversations around fast organic growth too, making sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah. I mean, there's a saying grow or die, right? So you do have to grow and you have to constantly expand your business. And we have seen in our business, people over expand. And when you over expand, run out of working capital, uh, don't have enough capacity. It could be that actually I've seen it be the death of some businesses where they go out and acquire these huge customers uh, and it becomes a concentration issue or it becomes a, a bandwidth issue that they're they're doing business at too low a margins. I've seen all kinds of crazy things out there. And and they were partnerships. And several people in the partnership didn't agree with the way they were going forward. So it's really important to kind of have like an expansion schedule, have a strategic planning session, and you should be doing that on an annual basis anyway. Have a strategic uh, planning session where you talk about how fast we're going to grow, whether we're going to grow organically or we're going to grow by acquisition. And and then back to the last conversation about money, how comfortable is everybody leveraging themselves or debt? Yeah. Having those conversations too about, and and I think too is, is, is tying it to specific numbers. Don't say, Hey, we're going to grow fast or slow. Like we're going to grow by 25% a year, or we're going to grow by 50% a year. Are we still going to have a minimum net profit that we have to achieve in order to achieve that growth? Like being on the same page as that. And then if you are going to grow through acquisition, yeah. Are you going to do it with personal money? Are you going to finance it through an SBA loan program? Um, Are you willing to bring on new partners or new investors to do that acquisition, there's a lot of different decisions that have to be made. Yeah. And if you grow through uh, acquisition or you grow organically and you grow at 25% or 50%, you probably will not make money for a while. And both Ray Titus and I made that decision in the beginning. We're saying, 
listen, we're going to grow this franchise and we know we're going to have to put almost every cent back into this business in the beginning, you know, for, for years, it could literally be years as a, in a startup, you could be three, four or five years out of making any money. And if you're an investor or your main focus of this partnership was to make money because you're 65 years old and you're enjoying your retirement, you're not going to want to wait 10 years for the company to make money. Yeah. Very different goals for very different partners and, and different people. So understanding those goals, doing the strategic planning up front, like Andy said. So the last of the six is uh, is one of the most important. Um, but we like to say in, in business brokerage that inevitably you will sell your company, like the company will end. So just like all companies have an end, all partnerships will have an inevitable end. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes indifferent but they're all going to end at some point in time. Yeah. You're going out toes first or you're walking out. So, yeah. one of those. <laughs> but uh, yes, you have to have a plan for getting out and you have to have that plan from day one. You can't wait. Uh, th things change in life. And we've see, we see that on a day-to-day -day basis that people's priorities, you know, God forbid something bad happens, death, dismemberment or divorce all those things, disability, not dismemberment. That's just a disability too. But, you know, so one of those three things happens. Yes, that's an immediate urge, uh, urging for a, a, you need to exit. But then there's the life changes, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen that where people have a near miss of, of, you know, they do get sick to the point where their, their life changes or their perspective changes, or someone passes away close by to them or, or, or they want to move. They go visit Colorado and they say, I need to be in the mountains. I just have, I have a client like that right now. We were talking about him last week that, you know, has taken a few ski trips, never saw snow in his life and it's like <laughs> i need to live there oh yeah so i yeah it's it but life does change right and and people's dynamics change and things like that and i i think in the industry that we are in um we we think this is this part is probably more important than most business partners do going in but we've seen all of the negative effects of not having all of these decisions figured out ahead of time. So not only do you have to solve for the D's, like Andy said, but you have to solve for those life changes or somebody just wanting out or the partnership going south and you need to have a breakup in there. But not just deciding, okay, this is how we're going to get out. There's got to be a mechanism in place on valuing the company. And ultimately too, hopefully you have a mechanism in place of how you're going to fund that buyout. If one partner is buying out the other or not. Um, those are definitely the two areas we see when we have unfortunate partnership disputes or anything that's going to break up a partnership and that somebody comes to us to sell a business in that point, that's usually where we're there to solve because they didn't have a mechanism for valuing the company. Yeah. For majority shareholders, there could always be things like life insurance, uh, mm -hmm. especially if people are young. Uh, but as people get older, uh, like I'm getting a little older and my company got bigger, you know, the life insurance thing doesn't work anymore. In fact, we're working on changing our shareholder agreement because it won't work anymore. You know, I just, there's not enough life insurance or it doesn't make financial sense to go out there anymore and get enough life insurance to say, hey, if Andy Cagnetta leaves, how are we going to fund this company? So 
you know, there's a, there's ways to value it and there's ways to buy out. And there could be, there could be a note, uh, there could be earnouts, there could be all kinds of things for, and ways that they pay off the heirs or they pay off the person that wants to leave. And, and no one should be able to overburden the company financially, right? So there needs to be an exit. And I think one of our exits was a five-year note at, you know, mm -hmm. 5% interest. That's reasonable. It's not, hey, I want my cash today because the way we value the business, we had one good year and now all of a sudden the company's worth that and I'm going to try to drag all the money out. That's not fair. But there also, if you decide to sell as a group, right. uh, there should be ways that everybody has a say so that's that's called a, you know that's called this a, a tag along everybody gets the tag along and sell their shares but then there's a way that you don't want anybody to block you so then there's a thing called the drag along and you know and Deborah talks about some of these things where hey 90% of the people who own the equity want to sell there's one 10% holder that wants to hold the whole thing up you have to have the ability to drag that person along yeah very important decisions to make. Um, unfortunately, we do see some of those examples um, on the negative side in our practice of selling businesses. So just having the conversations upfront and as clear and detailed you can be on the getting out part, I think is the better. Not having some, you know, generic verbiage on, you know, the company will be valued by an outside third party. I mean, that's a lot of the times that we're, we'll, we'll come in and <laughs> hopefully we're not the third, the one of the third parties, because there's usually multiple, but just being yeah. clear and upfront. Yeah. I'll, get, I'll give you some advice just from my own partnership agreement that, you know, if someone big has to leave, like if, if I have to leave, yes, we have to go out and get an outside valuation. But if you have minority shareholders or you have a, a bunch of shareholders that have invested in the company, you shouldn't have to wait for an outside valuation. So you should have a mechanism and a formula for valuing the business for minority shareholders. So you can have two different valuations for, for the same company. And, and that's the way we're deciding to go forward because it just makes a lot more sense that way for everybody. And, and to try to be fair to everybody and make it efficient, right? So if you have a, a business that's growing, you might want to bring partners in and bring partners out, um, you know, because it is a great way to do business. It's a great way to do business and, and bringing us back to, you know, the top of the episode of all the reasons that you would want to have a partner. I still think they greatly outweigh why you wouldn't want to have a partner, especially if you're in this mindset of growth. Right. It just it's very helpful to have people on the team that have money, expertise, connections, and, and just to have that support alongside you. So partnership can be a great way to get into a business, can be a great way to buy a business. Um, and we see lots of those happening every day. We hope we've given you some insights today. We know we've got Deborah Carmen coming up next. Yeah, and just get it in writing. I mean, that yeah. I don't think there's I've ever run into a bad partnership that had a good partnership agreement and a good operating agreement. Like, yeah. you know, like if no. they're ending a partnership and they have a good operating agreement and a good shareholder agreement, I don't remember a bad, you know, that being an ultraly, ultra bad situation going on. Yeah, totally agree. So we hope today's episode is very helpful for you. Uh, make sure to also tune in for our listing of the week and deal of the week. And if you ever have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out at the dealboardpodcast.com. 
Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking about partnerships today. And I absolutely had to bring on the attorney that we use in all these kind of deals, Deborah Carmen from Carmen Law. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much, Andy. Great to be here today. Right. And so we've worked together on a lot of deals and, you know, a lot of them do turn out to be partnerships. And we were talking a little bit before we got on the air here about that partnerships could be a good thing, right? Partnerships can be a very good thing. It's, it's kind of like a marriage. Some marriages are very good. Some marriages don't work. So <laughs> one of the, the nicer things though about having a partnership is you write everything out so you can you can basically look at it and understand where you're going. Where in a marriage, of course, it's it's not all written out like that unless you're Sheldon Cooper. Yeah, I don't know who Sheldon Cooper is. <laughs> yeah, for the big bang, you know. I was just kidding. Oh yes, 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 Sheldon, of course, right? He probably wrote it aloud. So, so, the roommate agreements, right? Right, roommate agreements. Exactly. But you know, but that's a great point, and that is one of our major points that we were talking about today is making sure you have an agreement in place and making sure you hire an attorney to do it, to make sure that it's legal. Because I'm sure that you have run into issues where people sort of have an agreement, emails, back of bar napkins. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it all. I have seen it all. And I've seen people come to closings and they don't know how much they're going to receive. Really? Because they never had an agreement. They're fighting. They have notes between uh, each other. Uh, there's all types of altercations going on. And it's a problematic situation. It's easy enough to write an agreement out that spells out exactly the roadmap for the parties. Yeah. And, and you're bringing up a great point. You're bringing up the end game, right? So somebody, they're going to sell. And now all of a sudden it's contentious about who's going to get what. And I've right. even seen it even halfway through. Like all of a sudden it starts... Maybe one person brings the knowledge or the money and then one person's working and now all of a sudden they don't feel like it's fair to split it. So it's really important to, you know, to talk about it and write it down up front. So what are the things you try to encourage people to do, you know, up front? What I encourage people to do is sit down and think about what happens. What happens if, God forbid, you pass away? Uh, can that company be run by your wife? Can it be run by your husband? Does the other partner actually want to run the company with your wife or husband? What happens over here if someone's disabled? Uh, What occurs if you want to sell? Do you have to show uh, a good faith, a good uh, estimate over to someone else before they go ahead and decide to buy you out? Can you just offer to a third party? All these things are written down to protect the people because you've gone ahead and made a nice business. You both work differently, but you both worked hard to get it done. And now it's a shame because now it'll all fall apart. And that's what we see. We see a lot of times, unfortunately, businesses will actually fall apart before they're sold because of uh, problems they're having with partnerships. It's like it's like anything else. If you don't properly plan, then you get whatever is there at the end. And it's very important to do that. Um, And we can spell out everything, not just your buy sell, but duties. 
we find out a lot of times someone will walk into a partnership and they'll think that they're going to do X, Y, Z when really all they want to do is Y, okay? They don't want to do the other parts. So if we spell it out in an agreement, we say what they're going to do, they're going to do marketing, human resources, whatever they're going to do, period, it's all there in writing. It's, it's designed over here to be done once and hopefully not looked at again, but it's there in case of an argument. And we also try to make a situation where how are we going to resolve any arguments? Are we going to have a third party resolve it? Uh, is someone going to have majority? Because most people don't realize they do 50-50 partnerships. Mm-hmm. And that's a real issue because who makes the deciding vote? Right. Um, and many times we have people that bring on family members and that becomes a, a contentious issue. What happens over here? You've now got four family members being fed out of that company and there's the other partner and he's absorbing all this. So you just have to, to kind of come to, to terms when you start out. And it's good you outline because it makes you think of these things before you start out together. I've actually had people sit down with me and they've never formed a partnership afterwards. They realized hmm. it wasn't going to work. Which is, you know, unfortunately, but smarter many times to do that than walk into a situation where you got problems. And that's what we try to do. We try to address all the issues we can ahead of time so you don't have these issues. And so uh, what does that look like? I mean, do do you sit down with people and try to go through a checklist or do you have them, you know, just tell their story up front? I mean, and kind of a combination, Andy. Exactly. Great question. Because we have a little bit of both. We have them tell the story because everyone always has uh, their own particular understanding of what it means to be a partner. And it's interesting because we use the word partner. You know, as an attorney, I use the word either operating agreement if it's an LLC, or I use the term shareholders agreement uh, if it's going to be a corporation. But everybody looks at it as a partnership. And some walk into this and, and have an understanding where one has sweat equity, one has put money in as an investor. Do they want their money back right away? Um, so we do have a checklist for them we go over, but I also want to understand what came about over here to make these two unique individuals want to become partners. And it works out very well many times. People do terrific. Uh, I see their sales and I know that they're doing uh, extremely well. And I see many times they're actually adding on. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I just left a really good partnership and I think you've worked with them before in John, uh, Jonathan and Jeff. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so. They're a great partnership. They happen to be brothers um, and they, they're, they're building a huge business. And, you know, I think it just takes, you know, eyes wide open going in right. that you have clear agreements because that makes it a lot better. I mean, um, so so uh, so what are some of the, you know, ways people get tripped up other than not having agreement? What do they start arguing about even if they do have an agreement? Money. <laughs> it's that simple. Sorts of all issues and problems when they start running out of money is when they start having issues and looking at their agreements, or when they ask one person to put more money in than the other, right. and all of a sudden now everything is looked at. Well, how many shares am I getting? What's going on over here? You know, is there another issue? Or you want to sell to a third party? Bring that third party in because they have money. Right. And now all of a sudden everyone says, "Well, I don't get along with that person, but we need his money." So what happens there? All of a sudden, that partnership now, there's three people involved and everything, all dynamics are changed. So you just, you have to really come up with all different circumstances over here. The one, the worst problems that I see are people getting a divorce. Because then what happens is the partnership is subject to all the problems in the marriage. 
And when you go to to, uh, to family law court, then you know that becomes an issue as well. What is this worth over here? And are we going to make them all sell? What are we doing? And that becomes also an issue. And then sometimes what we see is uh, someone has a child and wants to leave that business to a child. And that's another form of, of agreement we write up over here. So really, there's a, so many permutations, Andy, it's endless. Right. Yeah. I mean, just uh, I've heard I've seen both those things where, uh, you know, unrelated to the partnership, the, the husband and wife weren't partners. You're, you're right. saying that one of the partners gets a divorce and now has to get the value out of the business to give half or whatever to their spouse. Exactly. Um, and that causes everybody to have to sell or the other partner to have to buy out. And you have valuation issues and you have family law court going on. And then the other thing is, you know, somebody wants to replace a partner, which is also difficult, you know, right. even replace a partner with a child, um, right. you know, like, hey, I want my son to be your partner going forward. And that uh -huh. might not be great for an owner. And I've, I've seen that happen before. And or I've seen, you know, where the um, the where the, you know, the other partner uh, has a kid, too, and they want to and, and, and somebody might not be really capable of running that business. No, 100%. We see that all the time. We see that they can't have that child, but they want that child then to have an employment agreement with a new owner. So we try to work out a way that if something's going to occur, at least we can have a good result. But it, there's so many emotions when you start dealing with families and partnerships and small businesses. And I think that's what really causes more of the issues. It's not logical. The reason why we do these written agreements, they're logical at that time. Right. Everybody's happy. Everybody's always happy when they start out. Right. So that's why we do these roadmaps. They're very logical. So when the motions come in, we can look at those and decide then what you all had agreed upon. And these don't end up in court often, right? I mean, it, it gets bloody, but it, it, everybody eventually settles, right? Everybody settles because it's too expensive to litigate and takes way too much time. I've seen people do both. I've seen uh, shareholders' derivative suits. I've seen all types of of issues, and we find later on is that company winds up going bankrupt. Right. So if you want to save a partnership, <laughs> have it properly set up first, or at yeah. least get everything out um, on the table in the begin with. And how many times, you know, so, you know, I always say I don't believe in sweat equity. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I mean, I guess if you're bringing, if you're bringing specialty knowledge or, or the business model itself, um, I don't consider that sweat equity. I consider that intellectual property. But, you know, Correct. people saying that they're going to work out and be able to get something and not put up any money that is not my favorite uh, partnership agreement. Um, but how many times do you see a partnership start out properly? They they sign all the paperwork uh, and they're doing everything right and everybody's happy. And then, you know, a few years in, companies making money. and then you know, one of the operators wants to change it uh, because they're working too hard and they're they're pulling more of the weight and or one partner wants to get it out. How often do do people come to you to want to change partnership agreements? No, we, we see that a lot. We see people wanting to amend them to reflect the current state of affairs. And I think really COVID caused that issue. Interesting. There was a lot of people coming out after COVID and the partnership work when they met one-on-one -on -one in the office. The minute they're not one-on-one -on -one in the office and all the employees are out of the office, all of a sudden there's friction. So then we have to change it and amend it to reflect now the new model of their business. 
So people uh, start out very well many times, but as the business grows, and what's interesting, Andy, is that believe it or not, you can actually, and I know you know this because you are the expert on businesses, that you can outgrow your business. Sure. And all of a sudden what's happening is there's so much business coming in uh, and they feel the other partner is not working hard enough. There's not enough going on over here and that causes problems. So here you have a good thing where you have a lot of business and you know you have to sit down with people and figure out a better solution. And that's what we try to do. We're, we're creative, we're solution oriented, you know, just like everything that Transworld does because you wanna make sure as a business owner that they're gonna get what they need. Right, and, 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 and businesses are living, changing things. And they so are. are people, right? So people are living, yeah. changing things. They get old, uh, they wanna exit, their priorities change, they have enough money, they wanna move on, they don't have enough money, they wanna sell. I mean, a lot of things change and it really comes back down to, you really need to have a, the proper paperwork in place so you could, you could manage this. And I, even in my own partnership, which we have here at Transworld, you know, a lot of times we're guilty of not looking at the paperwork and we're doing things and we're, you know, we look back at the paperwork and we're like, oh, we shouldn't have done it that way because the real way to help someone exit is blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you, you need to have your paper handy and you need to have help like Deborah. I totally agree, Andy. And the, the interesting thing is when people form these, I start talking about exit strategies. As soon as they buy a business, I start talking about exit strategies with them because people need a plan. If you don't have a plan of action, people get lazy. They get complacent and all of a sudden something happens and then they have to react. We don't want people to react. We want people to plan. So I, I think what I got out of this is that you need a good agreement to start with. And that's something you can help people with and, and structure it properly. As things change, and you got to pay attention to that paperwork you originally had, and as things change and circumstances change, you may need to update that pay, paperwork or want to update that paperwork. And then you have to, in the beginning paperwork or in the updating, you have to have the clear end. I, you know, my, I wrote an article about this too, and I said, all partnerships end. It, they're going to end. <laughs> Whether, you're absolutely correct. One way or another, they're going to end. They're going to yeah. end. And yeah. so the best way to do that is to make sure that you have the end in mind uh, at the beginning. And uh, I think that's that's summing it up. So is there anything else that you, uh, you wanted to add to this conversation? You think that's pertinent? Uh, the only thing I wanted to add, we, we talked about spouses. And sometimes it's a good thing to sit down with the entire family when you're doing this. Because otherwise what happens is they're not aware of what's going on and there's a lot of friction that comes about later on with those relationships. So it's easy enough to explain everything, actually even get the consent many times of the husband or wife to what is going on with this business. And if there ever is an issue later on, you've got it in writing. So it's just a way to with children, whatever else you're doing over there. Um, and some people actually use that as a form of estate planning as well. Right. And, and, and if someone's married, the, the partnership is automatically part of the spouses as well? Um, it's really Depends. not. It's, you know, they're going to claim it. So, right. of course, so you just have to protect in that sense. But what happens really if someone passes away? Sometimes people need life insurance. They right. need something over there to, to drive it, to protect themselves. They need disability insurance. 
So it's it's a whole team, Andy, not just with people uh, doing it, you know, the attorneys, it's CPAs, it's people with life insurance. Uh, everyone together works for what the, you know, what we're looking at over here for the particular needs right. of the client. And I and I know that's one of the nice things over at Transworld is you take a whole look at everything to decide who the best buyer is. Because when you come into this buyers and sellers and then down the road, when you have that good fit and you have that good partnership fit, then that's perfect. And that makes everything uh, work about 150 times better. And and I, I always the other thing I would tell people is you think it's a small little partnership to begin with, but you know, ideas could blow up and they could, they could get very popular and very uh, worth a lot of money. So again, you want to have the right agreement to begin with because that's ah, just a small little business now. No, hundred percent. Just to give you an example too, I have a client that, that bought a restaurant and he has a partner, but his father lent him the money. So what you're going to have to do in that situation is make sure that the father's protected because now you don't just have the son involved, you have a partner involved. Mm. So there's a, a lot of different things you have to look at. It's not just what are the partners doing, but who's giving you the money to start this venture. Right. Yep. And, and yeah. how are they going to be protected? Money in and money out. How does money go in? Money. It's just, it comes really down, unfortunately. <laughs> it comes down the money. Yes. Yeah. All right. And I always say people lose their minds when money gets involved sometimes too. So they, it's, they do. They do. I've had people over here. I used to have, uh, I have still have an upstairs conference room and sometimes I have to separate the partners. Yes. Yes. And Shame, so, but uh, <laughs> it happens. And that's why Deborah bakes cookies. <laughs> Exactly. A little chocolate chip there never hurt anyone. Yeah. Well, it never hurt anybody. Calm everybody no, down. So. Calm all down. Yeah. All right, Deborah. Amazing content. Thank you so much. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you to talk about Thank partnerships? You, yeah, they can give me a call over at 561-392-7031, or they can look us up on the web uh, at carmenlegal.com. And we're delighted to help everybody over here that has a question they need because it's important enough to know that you want to make sure when you're building something as nice as your business that you don't have to give it away because you didn't do the right things with your documents. So true. I've seen so many bad stories happen and I know you have too. So this is great, uh, great content out there. So thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Annie. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time. Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is listing of the week. And I am live here in Boston. And I have Kip Hargraves from Transworld Business Advisors of Southeast Massachusetts, which includes the Cape and all kinds of great places. And Kip is with us today. And he's got a great business. Kip, why don't you tell us about it? Uh, it is a, a very profitable, eco-friendly waste removal business located in downtown Boston, uh, he knows a lot of the Boston area. He's got four territories with about 2.3 million people in Massachusetts in it. Uh, it was started actually in 2020, December, right in the middle of uh, the pandemic. And it has been profitable since day one. Uh, they had a great first year, did $750,000 in overall business with just two trucks. They got a third one very late in the year, which probably would have even bumped them over a million dollars. First year sales. So um, the gentleman that owns the company has done a phenomenal job of, of really paying attention, growing the business, and certainly working with the uh, 
you know, it is a franchise business with the corporate office, but uh, it, it's really, I think it's one of the best businesses, if not the best business we have to offer right now. Excellent. And how much are they asking for it? They're asking 600000 I think that's very negotiable. I think there's uh, absolutely an opportunity for owner financing as well, too. So. so it sounds like a great deal. Kip, if somebody wanted to learn more about it, how best to get in touch with you? Well, my, uh, my cell phone is 508-446-6569. My email is khargraves, H-A-R-G-R-E-A-V-E-S at transworld.com. We'll drop that in the notes. We will get that into the notes because that was a mouthful. But Kip, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the help. Thank you so much, Andy. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is deal of the week. And we have Jason Blair from Transworld Business Advisors of Portland. We actually met at the conference, recorded this, and it didn't work out. So you're back, Jason, (laughs) and you have a little bit more time to actually think about this deal because it was a difficult one. Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a wholesale tile distribution company based out of here in Portland. Uh, It was a difficult. We had two previous uh, interests and buyers that came on the board and um, didn't work out for some reason, but then we finally found um the third buyer third time's a charm right um and you know the great thing is is he is a salesman in that industry so it just fits seamlessly he had cash and uh it was an all cash deal and we closed in 30 days it was a it was a long and challenging one but i gotta say this one was from drop letters uh so uh drop letters do work as we always hear with transworld and um yeah, and also got two referrals out of the deal. So uh, it's great. That sounds like good deals for good people. How much did it sell for? Uh, 600. 600? Mm, yeah. So what was the multiple on it? Uh, we did inventory, and then it was about a one, uh, one, and a half t- one and a half time multiple what it ended up being because okay. of the challenge with it. So, yeah. Yep. You know, well, uh, that inventory was a big inventory. So, yeah. How much inventory was there? about $400,000. So So a lot of inventory, but that's what you need if you're going to be a distributor, I would imagine. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then, you know, just with the, um, hikes and and tariffs and all these other expenses being added on, although 2020 was really good for them. Um, they saw a jump, which most construction companies that I'm seeing have too. So, Um, but yeah, uh, again, good deals for good people. Exactly. All right. Well, good deal. Great job getting that done. Jason, what's the best way to get in touch with you? If somebody wants to learn more about some businesses you have, you can call me directly on my cell at 763-269-1979 or email, email me at jblair at tworld.com. Perfect. Thanks for coming aboard. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time. Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Welcome back, and it's Listing of the Week. And this is an incredible deal. We were just shocked by it. We have Ashley Kelsey from Eastern North Carolina, and you have a very nice business for sale. Yes, so thank you for having me on the show. The business that we have is we have a window tinting business. Um, Currently, the SDE on the business is approximately about $230,000. They're only asking $270,000 for the business, so we have a phenomenal multiple. The business has been long established in the community. It's in a great location with huge um, build-out that's happening with uh, major businesses coming into the area. There's going to be a 
Amazon, uh, Apple distribution centers are coming in. So there's great opportunity for growth. The business also has phenomenal uh, opportunity to even become a franchise. Wow. So it sounds like a business you could buy for absolutely the right price and a business that you can expand. And even better than that, the business is SBA pre-qualified, so it only requires 10% down to purchase. I mean, we're talking about $30,000 maybe to get into a deal that's making you 200. This is Absolutely. a deal. What's the best way to get in touch with you, Ashley? So the best way to get in touch with me, my direct cell phone number is 910-302-6447. And my email is akelsey, that's K-E-L-S-E-Y, at tworld.com. Call Ashley soon. That will not last. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.